So we have uh, been doing a a sermon series through the Gospel of Mark, and we're continuing that today. And I I made the observation last week, and I'll make the observation again this morning, that if you step back from Mark and you look at the sequence of stories kind of from a distance, the stories begin to paint a picture. And one of the pictures that emerges from the Gospel of Mark is a picture of an open door. It's a door that is wide open. The assumption used to be that the door into God's kingdom was only open to the descendants of Abraham, was only open to the, the Jewish people. But as we start to read these stories in Mark, what we recognize is that through Jesus, God is doing a new thing. We call it a new covenant, and where he's taking that door and he's opening it even wider. So that now the kingdom of God is not just for the the actual descendants of Abraham, but through Jesus Christ, we are all descendants of Abraham. We are all Abraham's children, and the door into God's kingdom has been opened to all of us. So last week, if you were here and you remember, or if you weren't, we read uh, about a Gentile woman who had a daughter who was possessed by an evil spirit. And that Gentile woman came to Jesus and she begged him to heal her daughter. And Jesus' response was was surprising. It was quite harsh. He said to her, it's not right to take from the children, the Jews, it's not right to take from the children and give to the dogs, the Gentiles. It's hard to believe that those words came out of Jesus' mouth. But the woman responded quickly. She said, yes. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the children's table. So what was Jesus doing? I said Jesus had had hoisted this old mental model that, that only the Jews were welcome into the kingdom of God. He hoisted it up like a pinata. And then he gave the woman the stick and he invited her to take a swing at this old mental model that, that the kingdom of God was only for the Jews. And she took that swing and she destroyed that old mental model and and recognizing that now the kingdom of God has opened wide to Jews and to Gentiles alike. And friends, that's good news for all of us here because I think most of us are Gentiles. Uh, Most of us are are non-Jews. And so it's good news that God has opened the door into his kingdom for us. Now the door is open wide, but the way is narrow. The path to that door is extremely narrow. We only come to the door by way of Jesus Christ. Once we get to the door, it is open wide. That means anyone can enter. Everyone who calls on the name of Jesus may enter through that door and enter into the kingdom of God. So after having just said that it's not right to take from the children and to feed the dogs, Jesus leaves her And he goes to the land of the Gentiles. He goes to these 10 cities called the Decapolis, and he feeds the dogs. He feeds the Gentiles. We're going to pick that story up at the very end of a a miracle that Jesus performed. He fed 4,000 people with just a few loaves of of bread and a few fish. He multiplies them and feeds 4,000 Gentiles. This is now the second time he's performed this miracle. He had done that for the Jews in Galilee, And now in the Decapolis, in this land of the Gentiles, he does it again. So join me as as we pray for the reading of God's word. Uh, 
<clears throat> Father God, your word repeatedly warns us about having eyes but failing to see and ears but failing to, to hear because of our hard hearts. And so we ask through the power of your spirit this morning that you would soften our hearts, that we might see you as you really are, that we might hear from you. Lord, bend our hearts and our mind and our will towards you and towards the truth that you have for us today. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to pick up the story at the end of this miracle. He's just fed 4,000 people by multiplying the, the fish and the, the bread. Uh, the people ate and were satisfied. This is Mark 8, verse 8. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 men were present. And having sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha. This, as I said, is now the second time that Jesus has performed this extraordinary type of miracle of, of taking just a few pieces of bread and fish multiplying them to feed thousands of people and having basketfuls left over. Jesus has demonstrated countless times that he is the one who is able to say, let it be, and it is so. Let it be, and it is so. He's able to speak things into existence as we sang. Nothing is too difficult for him. And so I, I am... Uh, thinking of a question this morning is, how many times, how many times do you need to experience something before you actually come to trust it? So the disciples, they were there when they saw him perform this miracle for 5,000 Jews. And they were there now when they saw him do this miracle for 4,000 Gentiles. They've seen him do this twice. Is two times enough for them to come to believe, you know what, this, this person that we've been following, he is able to multiply bread uh, and feed us. Is two times enough? How many times is it enough for us? We who have experienced God's faithfulness in the past, you've experienced him come through for you, you've experienced him provide for you. How many times before you arrive at that place where you're confident my God's going to do this for me. He's done it for me in the past, and I have every reason to believe he's going to do it for me in the future. Well, we're going to circle back to that, that question. We're going to get the answer a little bit later in the passage. But first, the whole scene is interrupted with another run-in with the Pharisees. And so we're going to look at that. The Pharisees came, and they began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked for a sign from heaven. So the Pharisees have come to Jesus. He got in the boat with his disciples. They left. The Pharisees found him when, when he landed, and they are now testing him with their question. And their question is, give us a sign. Give us a sign from heaven to, to prove to us that you are who you, you claim to be. Perform for us. Now, we have this saying that there's no such thing as a, a bad question. It's really not entirely true. The Pharisees asked a lot of bad 
questions. And the problem with their questions wasn't so much the question, it was the, the heart behind the question. It was the motivation behind the question. Their questions were seldom asked in good faith. I think Jesus welcomes questions when they're asked in good faith. He said, seek and you're going to find. Knock and the door will be open. Ask and it will be given to you. He invites our questions. He welcomes our questions. But he also knows when our questions are not genuine. When our questions are really a, a smokescreen to disguise something else, some ulterior motive, why were the Pharisees asking their questions? Well, their real intention was to use them as a trap. They're trying to, to test Jesus. They're trying to trap Jesus. They're trying to discredit Jesus, trying to humiliate him in front of the crowds, trying to show everybody how smart they are, how much smarter than Jesus they are than, than him. Their questions are an attempt to exert their power over Jesus. Like, we are the ones who ask the questions. Jesus, you are the one who gives the answers. You answer to us. And Jesus knows all of that. So I want to think about the questions that, that, that exist today. There are a lot of people who have really good questions, honest questions, hard questions. In fact, I hope that we are those people. I hope we are the people who, who have questions, honest questions, hard questions, and, and Jesus welcomes those questions. I hope we never arrive at the place where we think we have all the answers. It's not a good place to be. I have questions. One of my, my questions that I struggle with is, is evil. I don't understand evil. Like, how do you reconcile God is all-powerful, and he's entirely good, and evil exists? In my mind, I can't make that work. It's okay to have questions. God welcomes our questions. God welcomes our hard questions. Now, as you know, he doesn't always answer them. God doesn't always answer our questions. He, he's under no obligation to answer our questions. Getting all of your questions answered is not a prerequisite for faith. If you're sitting in that camp saying, I'm not going to believe until I get all my questions answered, you're not going to believe. Faith is, faith is not something that, that we have because we get all of our questions answered. It wouldn't be called faith if that were the case. If we ask our questions with humility, if we ask them in good faith, I believe Jesus welcomes them. He may answer them, he may not. But as you also know, there are a lot of people today who are asking questions not in good faith, not out of a, a spirit of humility or a, a genuine desire to know. These people the Bible, Bible calls are mockers. They're mockers. And their questions are designed to, to mock God, to mock the Word of God, and to mock the people of God. These are people who think they have all the answers. They've already got all the answers. There is little to be gained by reasoning with a mocker. Especially if you're on some online chat room. Like, just run. <laughs> there, there, there's nothing to be gained by that. The, the proverb says, whoever corrects a mocker is just inviting insult. 
don't waste your time. Rebuke a mocker and they'll hate you. Rebuke a wise person and they will love you for it. So the Pharisees come to meet Jesus and they are armed with their questions as if their questions are arrows. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. Perform for us, Jesus. Give us a show. If you are who you say you are, prove it. How easy would it have been for Jesus to give them that sign? And this is the person who can take a few pieces of bread and fish and feed thousands of people with it. This is a person who had just spoke to a, a man who was deaf and mute and gave him the gift of hearing and the ability to speak. He had just cast an evil spirit out of a girl who was possessed, walked on water, turned water into wine, performed for us. How easy would it have been for him to, to do any number of things, cause them to levitate on the spot, turn them into a donkey, order a, a lightning bolt to strike down right in front of them, he could have done any of those things, but he didn't do any of them. Interestingly enough, the Pharisees were never the beneficiaries of one of Jesus' miracles. As far as I know, the Pharisees were never the beneficiary of his miracle. He performed miracles for Jews. He performed miracles for Gentiles, for men, for women, for the young, for the old, but not for the Pharisees. He refused to perform for them. They said, give us a sign. Show us who you are. And instead, he sighed deeply. And he said, why does this generation ask for a miraculous sign? I tell you the truth, no sign will be given to you. Then he left them, got into the boat, and cross to the other side. Now, maybe one of your questions and one of my questions is, why didn't you give them the sign? And why don't you give us a sign? This whole faith thing would be so much easier if you performed for us, God. Like, just prove it. Just give us something so, un send the lightning. Do, do whatever you need to do so that there is no question. But God doesn't give us that sign, why does God conceal himself so that only those who hunger and thirst for him are the ones who find him? So in Mark's account, in the account we're reading right now, he says to the Pharisees, you're not going to be given a sign. There's an interesting account in the Gospel of Matthew on another occasion where the Pharisees ask him the same thing, give us a sign. Listen to what Jesus said. This is Matthew 12. 39 and 40. He said, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except, there is one sign, except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. In other words, Jesus was saying, you're going to get your sign. It's called the crucifixion. 
and the resurrection. And if that's not enough of a sign for you, then it doesn't matter what I do. A lightning bolt's not going to do it. If the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not enough of a sign, then, then no sign is going to be enough. Friends, God has given us all the sign that we need. Jesus rose from the dead. Any unbelief, unbelief that we might have, or anyone else might have for that matter, is not because God hasn't given us the evidence. It's actually because of something else. It's because of a, a hardness of heart. It's because of a refusal to submit to the Lord, a refusal to repent, to order our lives to his life. So the Pharisees had attempted to exert their power by asking Jesus this question, and he refuses to answer, and he gets in the boat, and he sails away. He's actually demonstrated greater power by refusing to answer, and he leaves them fuming on the shore as he sails away with the disciples. And so now they're all in the boat together. Verse 14, the disciples had forgotten to bring bread. We're circling back to that first question. The disciples had forgotten to bring br bread, except for one loaf that they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. The disciples, they discussed this with one another. Do you understand what he just said? I don't understand. Do you understand what he just said? I don't understand. They discussed this with one another and, and said it's because we have no bread. Jesus said this thing about the yeast of the Pharisees because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you still talking about having no bread. Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you rem remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls did you have left over? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? And that's the end of that, that whole stanza there, that, that whole scene. And, and I wish, I so desperately wish Peter or maybe one of the other disciples would have said, yes, we still don't understand because I, I don't fully understand. I'm sorry, Lord, we don't understand. I would have liked to hear Jesus expound on what this, this means. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. The conversation about the bread seems kind of clear to me, like, hey, folks, how many times do I need to multiply bread and, and fish for you to come to trust that I, I can take care of you? I'll be faithful, I'll provide. You've seen me do it twice now. Trust me. But this conversation about beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, I've tried to research it this week. I've read a lot, and, and the commentaries I've read, there's some confusion there too. We don't really know exactly what he was talking about. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. And so this week I thought, okay, what have we learned? We've seen a lot of run-ins with the Pharisees, and they typically play out in a couple ways. So, so what, Je what would Jesus possibly be saying? Well, there's three things, I think. Beware of hypocrisy. Beware of hypocrisy. 
Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Jesus says this over and over. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. The Pharisees weren't bad people. I mean, they are so often our punching bag, but the Pharisees are people who are trying their best to follow God. They really are, and they're trying to follow, follow his rule down to the, the nth degree, all of the, these little rules. These aren't just people who are pretending to be religious. Most of the Pharisees, what their problem is is that they're majoring in the minors, as we said last week, and they're minoring in the majors. They're obsessed with their rituals, the, the ceremonial washing of the hands, what we should eat, what we shouldn't eat, what we're allowed to do on the Sabbath, what we're not allowed to do on the Sabbath. They're obsessed with this, and, and they're missing the, the bigger picture. So much so that remember what they decided to do shortly after, miss, after meeting Jesus? They decided we're going to kill him. Like, can you imagine that? People who are so religious that, that follow God's law just to, you know, the, the utmost degree, and yet somehow in their minds they rationalize, this is a man that we need to kill. We're going to violate one of God's Ten Commandments, and we're going to murder Jesus. This is hypocrisy. Jesus said, you, you strain out a gnat. You focus on the littlest thing, but you swallow a camel. Beware of that. Beware of that, church. Guard your heart. Be in touch with the, the thing of your heart. It, it turns out it's a whole lot easier to follow a, a rule about washing your hands than to deal with the lusts of the, the flesh and the desires of the heart and the greed and all of those things that live in our heart. Beware of hypocrisy. Second thing that the, the Pharisees tripped up all the time was with pride. Jesus once told a parable. He contrasted a Pharisee and a tax collector. And he said, the Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, that I am not a robber or an evildoer or an adulterer or fill in any word that you want of those people that, that you despise, those sinners that you despise. God, I thank you that I'm not like them or even like this tax collector, but I, I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all that I get. But the tax collector, he stood at a distance. He wouldn't even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast, and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Beware of pride. Beware of somehow thinking that you're a more righteous sinner than some other sinner. That somehow your sin is understandable, justifiable, excusable. But somebody else's sin, well, that's, that's beyond God's reach, beyond forgiveness. Beware of being so self-assured that you stand before God unbowed as if he's fortunate to have you as one of his disciples. Beware of ever getting to that point where you don't feel like you need to pray, God, 
have mercy on me, a sinner. Beware also of thinking that God owes you some explanation, that he owes you some, some answer to every one of your questions. God doesn't answer to us. We answer to him. He welcomes our questions, but there is a time where the right thing for us to do is to say, you are God, and I am not. And, and we've got to be okay with that. Beware of hypocrisy. Beware of pride. Finally, I would add power to the list. Beware of the allure of power. Power can be incredibly intoxicating. So many of these Pharisees' run-ins, what's really at the heart of it is power when you get right down to it. They're trying to preserve their power. They have this power that has become theirs through their education, through their position, through their respect and reputation. And Jesus comes and they perceive he is a threat to their power. These religious leaders who are so scrupulous in what they did, that they, they, what they did eat, what they didn't eat, what they did do on the Sabbath, what they didn't do, somehow they, they justify, we're going we're gonna to murder Jesus Christ. If their power is threatened, they're feeling justified in doing this just outrageous thing. The desperation of clinging to power can drive us to do some crazy things some awful things, and we see it all around us in our world today. Beware of the danger of power, hypocrisy, pride, power. I don't know, but I think this is the yeast of the Pharisees. Now, fortunately, God has given us some other yeast. He's given us the yeast of the Holy Spirit. He's given us the yeast of his word, that God's word, he says, meditate on this. Just drink deeply, consume it, and it gets in and it begins to work. His word doesn't return to him void. It, it begins to change us. It begins to transform us like yeast in a batch of dough. So our greatest defense against hypocrisy, pride, and power is the spirit of God. It's the word of God. It's being with the people of God and letting those things, just, just consuming those things and being changed from the inside out. Join me as we pray. Father God, we have questions. We have lots of questions. There's so much that we don't understand. And Lord, uh, we pray that you would provide uh, answers to our questions. Lord, help us ask our questions genuinely and out of good, good spirit and humility. And Lord, help us also arrive at that place where we are able to say, you are God and we are not. And Lord, we, we trust you. Lord, we thank you that you have proved that you are faithful, that you provide for us. Lord, help us trust in your provision. So we pray all of these things in your son's name. Amen.